0: What does a career dedicated to training and education in public service look like? Our guest today, Ed Knittel, has spent decades thinking about learning, change, and engagement. He recently retired from his role as Deputy Executive Director at the Pennsylvania State Association of Boroughs, but has also served as Municipal Manager, Consultant, and Trainer Educator with the Pennsylvania Municipal Planning Education Institute over the span of his career. He is currently serving as a board trustee at Insight PA Cyber Charter School. This conversation is particularly well suited for young professionals who are thinking about a career in municipal management. The conversation is focused on what training and education will look like in the future and the importance of engagement in every aspect of public service. So let's get started. bit about that arc of your career, how you see it now that you've had perspective on it, and maybe what it was that excited you then, and if that still excites you. I'd like
1: to hear. You know, you it, it, it I will say it still excites me. I, I look back and I've thought about this a lot in the last few months. I wouldn't say the last few days, but certainly the last few months, I was a, not a very good student in High school and, and those grades. But I, there was a couple of topics I enjoyed, history and things like that. And what I did decide later on as things went along, I thought I could teach people a way that might help them, reach them, as opposed to the way sometimes it's been done that we're used to with somebody standing in front of a classroom and just standing there repeating everything. I found over time that my history of working different jobs different activities, somewhat different professions. I started out in architecture many years ago and worked for engineering firms and uh, such like that for several years and uh, enjoyed it. But I found that I still wanted to work more with people and communities. And I know going back to when I was in high school, my mother asked me what I wanted to do when I got older, if I ever grew up. And that was always a question, if I was ever going to grow up. And I did say a couple of things. One, I, I wanted to help coach sports. I wanted to work in architecture or a field along those lines and in government at, mm-hmm. at the local level, not a national level. And all of those I look back at had dealing with people. All of them had aspects of education and training. Even in architecture, you're working to educate your client as you're working with your athletes, coaching them in soccer and uh, baseball it's education, but you have to show, you have to understand. Not everybody has the same receptive system. So you have to work with different ways of doing it. And in government, I, I thought I could help maybe make some progress in that area. And so I've education was part of that. Many years ago, I say many years ago, I look back, it's about 1981. I was asked to do some presentations on some training for elected officials. As I was a manager in, in a community DCED, and it used to be DC DCA in those days, Department of Community Affairs, was trying to do training in different areas on a couple courses, and I don't even remember which ones they were. I, I truly don't. And I must have done something because they got pretty good reviews. They asked me to keep doing it, and I kept doing it for them, and enjoyed it. And I think after a while, I developed my own style of it. I tend to bring a little humor into when I'm trying to teach. Even at my own expense, I have no problems with that. I know I'm not the, the, the tallest, best-looking person in the room. I've survived. And that's one of the things I tell people that even no matter what you're doing, you, you have to survive. And you have to constantly be learning something. You, it doesn't stop the day you finish high school or college you never stop learning. And uh, Sasha Page, I think, said it best a baseball player he says, never turn around, never look back because they might catch up with you. Mm-hmm. And by educating yourself and learning something new, you're always going to keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful yeah. focus just on, on learning and that there is, I think we have that shared value. It's important to incorporate that into our organizations and to think about ways to incorporate that. And Mm -hmm. I think just what you do, which is providing some inspiration, providing some framework for that training and education, but it doesn't stop at that classroom.
1: As a manager, I think your job as a municipal manager or any, I think any position is to train and educate the people you work with to take over your position if necessary, or to make that transition. To help them improve themselves at the same time. I always felt that if I could do that within the communities I was working with, whatever staff members, whatever, if I had something that would help them grow and reach greater potential, then that's what you're supposed to be doing. And I I think that's worked. I think it's worked very well over the years.
0: Yeah. And that is an attitude, too. When you ha- think about the responsibilities of a manager, it takes a real mind shift, I think, or just attention to how you're growing your people, as I've been saying lately, and how do you, you whether it's through mentoring or coaching, some aspect of your managing becomes some of that, or you hope that there's some of yes. that going on in the organization. Yes.
1: Yeah. Exactly, exactly.
0: And I guess, you know, the other question that that I thought about going into our our conversation today was just if you had, if you could wave a magic wand, if there were no obstacles to time, no obstacles in the way of money, what would training and education in the field of municipal management, what could it look like if there were no obstacles?
1: I, I think we're getting there. And I think, believe it or not, Technology's reaching a point, and I think the the requirements to keep up with a manager is going to require that you become more broadly knowledgeable, not narrowly focused on one little part of uh, whatever it might be, uh, but you're gonna be more broadly. And I think technology is gonna help that. I think we're seeing today, the ability to zoom into a class at some other university, college, country, and pick up the tools that are may not be readily available right where you're at. Mm. And I think this is a transition period where probably never in history have we ever had as many opportunities to become exposed to ideas, new ideas to improve upon whatever we have as our skills and abilities, or maybe even our weaknesses to make them stronger. That if we, if you have, it's there, you will have the ability to log into all these different programs. And I think it's maybe if nothing else is to find more time to do. I, and you have to make out time to continue this training, education, your self-development yeah. and for your staff people. They have the opportunity to attend all these programs and classes, in many cases for no cost at all, and really get a great uh, education.
0: And I love what you're saying. And it's true. But I also think of the other end of that, that there is so much out there. <laughs> now the challenge yeah. is really finding how to not be distracted by it, but to focus in on what it is that can make you allowing you to bring more, contribute more to, mm-hmm. to what you do or how you think.
1: and Yeah, I, I think sometimes you can get carried away with viewing too many things. It's like a kid in a candy shop. You, you, you see all the candy and you want pieces of it, but you have to realize that maybe you want to focus on that one thing you're not going to have opportunity for in the future or that you really want to take full advantage of it. And I said, there's training. I, I find myself with a lot of interest out there great number of interests and I like to sample parts of it and just keep knowledgeable I'll use that term so I'm not totally surprised or uh, at least I can think about where it might take me but you know I still come back to some very basic things that I enjoy or find as my my strength as opposed to maybe a weakness sometimes it might might even be viewed a weakness but as I like to view it as a strength
0: and like for conferences, you are do such a spectacular job in the conference area. Do you still see in-person conferences as delivering a kind of training and education experience that maybe is not possible?
1: I think it is. I think one of the key parts for conferences is, one, exposure to new ideas, if, if your organization is going to present those things, uh, and also the interaction with other people. Mm-hmm. at all levels of their career. You may very well meet somebody who's on the, towards the end of their career, getting ready to retire. Maybe they've reached the pinnacle of their career and they've really you know, scaled those mountains of all the things that they've wanted to do. And some other people are just starting up that, that maybe you become friends with them, mentor them and see their careers move along. I think that's one of the aspects of, of a physical conference. I do think things are changing. And when we talk about virtual Right now, uh, I, there's going to be another virtual. that's going to be very honest shortly. And I was I was just having coffee with some friends this morning. We talk about education. It seems like all the time. And I made the point. I said, in the next couple years, our education system is going to change drastically once again. We have this system of Zoom, and or whatever you want to call it, what this online type of uh, education that we're doing, or uh, whatever the proper terminology is. Virtual reality classes are going to be what the future is going to be. Coming, whether you're in grade school or high school or college or sitting here right now, we will have virtual headsets that are going to be next to nothing in size, but are going to give us a chance to be wherever we want to be or participate in, and a really hands-on basis with that instructor and, and other parties, and we will become more engrossed within it. Hmm. As opposed to being observers, we will now become participants in that education.
0: Mm-hmm. That is so hard for me to imagine. I don't know if you have an example you can give. I'm thinking of some classrooms, maybe that teach engineering or, or have a lab. They require a lab. Is that the type of virtual reality you're talking about? Or can you give another example?
1: Well, of that? One of the examples I came across, which made me really stop and think about this, perhaps last winter certainly within the last year, was there was a training center for public works employees that taught them to use snowplow operations, winter operations, using virtual reality equipment. They actually sat in a chair, a seat, a cab-like of a vehicle, and it produced the actions and reactions of plowing snow and running a spreader and turning the plow in all kinds of conditions. And you could train your employees to experience that before they ever got out onto the road. Now think about that if we could sit there and we had a classroom sitting with us and we were all working on the same budget sheet together, physically working on it together. Or it's a classroom that was out there in the field learning how to do uh, land surveying where you can't be out there physically for whatever reason, uh, you're in Timbuktu and somebody else is in Boston and maybe the site you're working on is in the Grand Canyon. How would you like to try to learn those experiences? And I see this as a tool that's going to come by and more common. We see it in games now where the game reality or virtual reality overtakes people. I think it's just a very short period of time before we have it as a true tool in every one of our positions.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, You know, just recently, I have, I did some work with frontline supervisors, and uh, I can think of an example from that. We were working on onboarding. So what do you need to learn in the first six months? And I was having the frontline supervisors actually develop a checklist. What is it exactly that was in your mind that you could put down into a checklist and sort of work through? And as I was working on that with them, I thought, man, if I could have just recorded this, because it is... They're, they're they're delivering all that tacit information, that informal information. This is what happens. And when this happens, this is what you do. And they were working through all of this in their checklist of what they wanted to really teach the new employees, the younger employees. And then I had a, a client, John Ernst, in a Lansdale where I was talking with him. He says, we're doing actual videos. So we're going out and we're videotaping the same thing. So these are things you need to learn in mm-hmm. this job. And having really, you know, it, Employees that have been there for 40 years deliver the information to a new employee, which then gets preserved. It's pretty exciting, and I, now you're taking it one step further. I would imagine that if you're developing virtual reality, you're going to be working off of some material like that. I'm I, not I think sure. so,
1: and I, I think in some cases it's going to be no script at all. That you will you'll be virtual uh, reality, whatever you want to call it, being your system. And somehow, maybe uh, through a drone that'll fly to a location, and because of the way it's being projected, you and whoever else will physically be at that location. And you can talk about the aspects of a road reconstruction, yeah. or maybe what's going to be a, of a building, and as you sit there working on it, you start Moving plans around that fit the site better without having to physically be there. I, and I see it as even for meetings in the future, yes. where I believe this ability that we've had now with Zoom meetings and whatever else we want to call it, I see public meetings taking on a whole different role in the future where we'll be able to get the whole audience, the board, and everybody else engaged within that physical or I shouldn't say it, virtual world in a much different way than just seeing a set of drawings on a wall or, or somebody making a, a physical presentation. I, I just think it's gonna be different, more engaging.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, the enhanced communication, having access to people. So I am seeing more in that just project management. If you're working on a project, I think the Microsoft Teams allows you to just call somebody up and join the meeting. You have, you're working through a problem. And so you have a common platform. And I'm yes. not as familiar with it, but I think there's going to be ways to enhance it. what happens in that meeting. If I missed it, I go back into that area. I see what was discussed. I can leave comments. So again, I think of that from a technology standpoint, there's a learning curve. So that's important, but from just a widening our understanding of actually how we learn and it's tied to that communication piece. So you're, you are able to present scenarios and challenges in a way that engages people to stretch we, we are in an unprecedented time. Do you regret have, retiring right now? We are in an unprecedented time. Maybe you're excited by that. Maybe you're going to get to do it in new ways. But we've never had this kind of, everybody has to change. It's not a choice. It, I mean, like, right. not, when I say change, that's not quite the right word. Everybody has to be engaged in yeah, some area of learning too.
1: I had, right before I retired, It's was only a couple of weeks now. I got an email from an old friend and... Uh, She asked me, what advice would I give to somebody who's retiring? And I wrote back. I said, well, I need a few days to think about this because I haven't been retired nearly long enough to offer any ideas on it per se. And I've been thinking about that a lot, only because I haven't answered the email in, in any detail. And one of the things that I know for myself is that I will constantly continue to be engaged in learning something. I think you have to. The last thing I want to do is sit in a chair or on the couch and watch television all day. No, thank you. But I want to learn new things or continue to learn things. Maybe I had to put off for, take off some, maybe some new hobbies that maybe I'm more comfortable doing today than I did before ahead, time for. So I think it's going to be a constant education. I don't think we ever end, I, at least I hope not, because I think there's so much out there that you have an opportunity to do. And if you're a manager and you can continue to do the same things and offer your insights, both your success and your failures, never forget what the failures were or mistakes you made because you've learned from them somehow. And we never want to forget those. What can we do going forward? How can we help with others? Some people get into volunteer activities. Certainly that's very important if they want to be active in that way. Others perhaps sit down and write their memoirs and uh, hope that they become bestsellers. That would never be my situation for any means.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll
1: keep out all the good stuff and only write the bad
0: things. Let's get real a moment because I know you must have had a few experiences. I know I've had my share. Of uh, being asked to help in a municipality, help them out, and so you come in with your mindset and approach, and they say, "We don't do, we don't do things that way. We've always done yep. it this other way, and it's." Neat.
1: Am I am I right? <laughs> yes, you're you're absolutely right. I, in fact, I remember my probably my very first manager's position, and I will leave the municipality nameless at the moment, but somebody could probably find it no problem. One of the things I had worked on very hard in school and understanding was. The impact of budgets, especially at municipal level. In the college and universities, when you took budgeting classes and government budget, they always talked about the federal government. And fortunately, I was old enough to realize, or at least mature enough to realize that the federal budget meant nothing, because it had no no relationship to local governments at all, or even to the state government. Because you really have to have a budget at the local level. You can't just pass a number and hope that nobody looks at where the money's coming from, or, and you can't print money at the local level, at least not legally. And I took this job as a manager, and I thought it was going to be interesting. And I really looked hard at the economics of the community, previous numbers in their budgets, you know, actual versus budgeted, looked at the audit reports and prepared a budget, and uh, sat down with the chairman of the board. And uh, he looked at and said, oh, we don't need that stuff. I know everything we need to know about budgets. <laughs> I know everything we need to know. And I thought, oh, this is not going to be good. And that's pretty much the way it went on for two years, two plus years. And it was not, there was no desire to learn. It was more, they wanted a manager there to watch people and just make sure that the clocks were being punched in some manner and not to necessarily grow the community or to manage the community, but to oversee it. I'm going to use that term in not a very positive way. And it really taught me that, yeah, I knew what I was doing. I had a pretty good idea. And they ended up in some financial problems shortly thereafter, because they had an unrealistic budget and they were planning on revenues that were not coming in. And they failed to look at the big picture in their situation.
0: I think about municipalities who will actually spend the money to send somebody to training and they come back. And there is, uh, then there's a resistance to actually Mm -hmm. implementing anything different. And so it becomes a challenge uh, at the leadership level, I think. If you don't have leaders, and it could be the elected body, it could be the managing team, but uh, if they don't have that attitude of uh, receptiveness to, wow, we've got these challenges coming down the road. We have to think about the way we do things. It's very difficult for people to stay if if they're very interested in learning and they're very interested in development. They're not going to be able to stay uh, because they don't have any room to really know.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, fairly common. I think people reach a point in an organization many times where they realize that there's no further they can take their skills and ability. And now they can either just stay there and, and wait out the time, hope that something makes a difference, or they just wait their time and retire. Or... They look at other opportunities out there. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's oftentimes, it's not so much that the uh, person changes, it's the organization doesn't change to address the times. And we've seen that. uh, Communities that just did not want to address the issues back in 2007 in the recession that was generated. You looked at them going back and you have to maybe some hindsight. Everybody looked at the numbers of, you know, housing, uh, Prices in 2007, 8, and all the numbers that pointed to something was going to break. And we saw that recession happen in 2008, 9, 10. Um, Then uh, we had plenty of warning in the last few years that there was going to be a pandemic of some type. It was just a matter of time which one it was going to be. We lucked out on missing several other ones. And when uh, the COVID-19 struck, we saw it in in, in China, but there were actually some indications long before it popped up in China that it was already happening in other uh, parts of of the world, and just seem to find a nice, at least it seems to be a host in China. And uh, when it came to the United States and Seattle, uh, Washington area first, at least best our knowledge, people still put it off as not a problem. Those communities that identified it as, wait, maybe this is something. Maybe this is the thing we need to just watch and be careful and be ready for. And by ready for is meaning, can we transition from a physical setting our offices to a virtual setting with everybody working from different locations. And if you could do that and you didn't miss a beat in the process or very didn't miss, miss many beats, you were ahead of the game when you got done. You probably even got ahead of the game financially and didn't hurt your organization. But an organization is not, I'm going to say, flexible, nimble enough, is going to get hurt. And they need to look at people who are going to give them those advice so they can stay nimble and be prepared to change. Everything is always changing. It's never going to be the same.
0: Yeah. I was fascinated really by the variety of ways that the municipal managers dealt with the pandemic. And I found that most of the approaches were successful. I haven't heard anyone say it was a catastrophe, but I think that the key was that they were sensitive to what you know where the tension points were some of them stayed and continued to provide services but they were very mindful of the distancing and they used proper like plexiglass separators others were went into a full hybrid or most of them i think close to the public but i know some that never closed to the public but they did take steps to manage yep. the, the risks Good.
1: We saw that. I saw it in in both ways. I saw communities adapt very easily and quickly with a hybrid system or or maybe a little bit more towards a virtual system completely. But I saw others that took it as an opportunity. And I say this in a negative manner, an opportunity to pull back in and disengage with the public. Mm. They saw it as an opportunity that they could just tell the public, sorry, our office is closed and we can't help you. And they forgot the mission, and they forgot who they're working for and what their goals and objectives were. And I I found that very disheartening in some communities.
0: I could tell you, I could get on a tangent right now. Businesses have done that too, you know, as well. Yeah, I I I know. Like, I was just in Columbus, Ohio. I'm going to pick on them. There's a park of Roses there that has a beautiful parks facility, and it's a public parks facility, but they Shut it down because of the pandemic. because the only place you could have a decent restroom. So if you didn't want to use the porta potties, that this is the only place you could use, but they shut it down. But they're perfectly able to have weddings there. So you got all these wedding events going on. And I'm like, they've got an event hall now. They just closed down the public venue and in yep. favor of having, and they just can't quite get back to opening those restrooms up to the public because that was
1: oh no, because now that requires a, a different set of thinking tools and desires at the same time. I I saw it in other places. I'm just thinking, here's an opportunity that you really can engage your community and work with them. And and they want it at the same time, but it's easier to say, no, we don't want to do it. And we're we're protecting everybody by not doing this. And what you end up not protecting anybody because the community then becomes somewhat checkmarked and saying that this is not really a accessible community. It's not really caring about its residents or businesses or wants to go forward. You know, they want things back the way it was and it's gonna hurt those communities. And it will hurt the people, the managers, the staff who don't take those steps forward and saying, hey, we've got to change. I know one community, they put it up to the staff to vote whether they were going to open the building or not. I'm not sure that's how you do it. You don't put it to a vote. Uh, the staff members, in many cases, they don't want people coming in. They'd rather not have the public see what they're doing or be interrupted for whatever it is they're 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 trying to do by engaging the public. I think that's a just the wrong way of doing things. Those communities that, that went out and engaged their public, held those meetings, sometimes held them in the parking lots, sometimes held them in the lobbies of their buildings, but worked hard to keep the public involved, I think are going to be community that will continue to grow.
0: Yeah. 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 And and so that's the point is the ones that were able to get creative and adapt and do it with safety in mind, but still able to, to deliver their services. And that gets to my next question. And this really interests me because of your tenure. You have seen over many years, things that work, things that don't work so well. And I'm very interested to know what you think needs to be preserved in municipal management. In other words, we need to keep doing these things. This is core to what we do as municipal managers and and municipal management, and what is it that needs to really progress. We've hinted at it here, but maybe you could reframe that in a way that makes sense to you. What do we need to to preserve, and what do we really need to progress going forward?
1: One of the things I think we need to continue doing and must do, especially in the municipal arena, is that our clients, our audience, our customers are the public. And I think that it is inherent that the managers and those folks in those operations meet the public. Even if it. one of the things I tried to do when I uh, was a manager uh, in townships and boroughs, is engage the public. Um, In a borough, I just literally walked up and down the streets introducing myself to the businesses, listened to some of their complaints, which was a lot more common than their congratulations. Criticism was far more... Uh, prevalent. And that also taught me something in the process or told me about the community. At the same time, in other organizations, I, I you know appeared before the different civic groups to get their impact and ideas, whether it's the library, the PTA, the PTO, the Lions, the Rotaries, whatever the case may be, you need to hear what people are saying. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's not nice to hear that our organization is screwed up left and right. And Don't return phone calls. Don't engage with emails. Don't respond. I was talking to somebody over the weekend from another community, and they've been waiting six weeks for a building permit for an extension on their garage. Six weeks on a residential extension. Went through a zoning hearing. Got approved by the zoning hearing. No problem. But the office is not turning around the permit. Now, they're losing contact there that the person was telling me wasn't given any positives to that community. It was negative. So what, how does that go on later on? And that office needs to make sure that they're building those good, positive relationships. There's corporations who do it all the time, who make mistakes and then try to make it better. And others who just do it right every time. And I, It might be the grocery store that you go to that make sure they find the stuff that you want on the shelf. It might be the pharmacist that goes the extra step and find that medication for you, even though uh, you're out and your prescription's not ready yet. It may be the online company that uh, they sent you something and you decided it wasn't right and they tell you keep it anyhow. Why? Maybe it's goodwill. Maybe it's easier for them not to have to do it. But they're dealing with the public in some manner. And today especially in, with all the internet connections that we have, the, the social media, that you need to engage the public in a positive manner and um, not give them that up. I don't mean not give them, but it shouldn't be the reason for them to blast you in the, on the social media sites because uh, you didn't answer the phone call. You're taking six weeks to give a building permit out. Those things uh, can be more distracting than positive and, and just,
0: There's two things that I hear you saying, and both which are so critical. The one is that responding, like in-person contact. And of course, you want that to be a positive contact to the extent possible. But the other piece, which I see everywhere across the board, I call business transactions. Any way that you're doing business transactions with your community, with your customer, with your residents, you've got to be thinking about what they're experiencing in other places, which is, mm-hmm. I need to pay online, or I need to pay by phone. Or, and what you're talking about, just not getting a response for six weeks is not acceptable because they're experiencing this everywhere else. You can't expect as your local government to not, the whole idea of what's basic has changed. <laughs> Not, and, and you also have to do the window. You have to make it okay if somebody wants to come in and pay at the window. That's a, It's a different, it's different expectations. Right?
1: It, it, it is a different expectation because we, change is always occurring. And if we don't understand that and take a time to look at it and say, how can we benefit? There's always that, those SWAT terms that we use, strength, uh, opportunities, weaknesses, that type of that should always be part of your thinking, whatever you're doing. Whether you're walking down the street at night, what is my SWOT analysis of this situation? Or the SWOT analysis of what's going on out there in the world that affects me personally or me in my operations, my company, my family, whatever the case is, we have to have those in hand. And by not engaging in that type of thinking, are continued. You know, it's out there. It's worked. I we're afraid we're, we're foolish not to continue that op- operation. I encourage managers. You move into a community and meet the businesses. Go around, but not just that. On Saturday morning, go down to the recreation facility where the soccer games are going on, or the baseball games, or the f- pee-wee football, and listen to the people. Listen to what people are saying, what they're complaining about. If you have a chance, walk through the different neighborhoods, but uh, just to see what you know what's going on, because you need to take that back and grow from it. Mm-hmm. You may say, Oh my goodness, this is a problem. We've got to correct it. And maybe it's something you can head off early on, or maybe it's something that uh, you're, you're going to have to address. Yeah, I remember going into a community and I try to do a good analysis of community ahead of time when I'm going into it. And uh, the demographics, the, the economics, just whatever data I can get. Data is so valuable and comes in so many different forms. And I'd gone to this community and I thought they had potential, really did. But the board members kept saying, oh, we're an old community. We're all elderly. We have no money. We can't do anything. And I pointed out to him, I said, said, you're wrong. You have X number of homes that are changing hands every year. Fast as they can go on the market, they're being sold and bought by younger people, not retirees. So you're now seeing a family of one or two Income earners who maybe have been retired for 20 years selling their home to somebody, young couple moving in, who are making more in one year than they probably made in five years and spending money. And the one board member, it was election time and he went to the election, the vote to work at the polling place, came back an hour later and said he didn't know anybody that came in to vote. And that to me was telling that this was somebody who grew up in that community grew up in it and lost touch with that community uh, somewhere along the line. It had no idea and didn't know anybody coming in to vote and had no idea of how many sports teams there were or what was going on or populations. And if you don't keep your keep it real, whatever terminology you want to use, you, the data is in front of you. You just have to be willing to look at it.
0: Yeah, And you obviously were right that there was new people moving in. That was the actual case. So you make actually the role of, of band manager sound exciting. Uh, in that, I like this idea of really going out and getting to know the community and just being in touch with what's going on there. And I, I think that we often talk in the local government professional, the ancillary services like myself in the in the consulting room. We talk about how to get younger people to think about municipal management. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I think it can be very appealing if people understood it the way you describe it. And I yeah. wonder if you were to give some advice for maybe a, a younger professional who's thinking about either maybe they just took a job in local government. Now they're thinking, huh, this actually could be a career. Are there any? sort of pieces of advice that you might think about somebody who's contemplating getting into the field, possibly managing or possibly just becoming a professional in the local government? Oh, I think there's going to be a lot of
1: opportunities going forward. And part of the reason is people who've been doing it for 40 or 50 years are retiring now. We've reached a, a point where it's just time to move on and let somebody else take over. But what happens is I think a lot of younger people get scared with it. And I, under, I can understand that. It can be a very scary. When you look at municipal managers' careers, there are a lot of changes that go on. You you do end up very rarely uh, will you end up spending your career at one location for a number of different reasons. You and I both know a, a friend of ours who just recently retired, who I think has 45 years and 40 at the same community. And I think too often today, particularly in the last few years, we have recruited and tried to recruit at the wrong level. We need to really go when the, the candidates and I use the term candidates are younger. When they're starting out in high school and starting to think about careers, where can they go? There's a lot of opportunities there that don't require necessarily a four year or degree or even a bachelor's degree to bring them into local government that allows them the opportunities to get a taste of it with some good uh, opportunities, water, wastewater, maybe in, in the public works operations of equipment, driving trucks, whatever. Those can be pretty rewarding. And believe it or not, they can also lead to management positions within that community. And I've seen that happen where you know, in my own experience was taking a young man who was a laborer, a truck driver for a community, seeing the skills and ability that he had and wasn't afraid to talk to you about issues. Not criticizing, but giving you the truth of the matter. And uh, over several years, I uh, became a manager himself. And uh, later on, became a, uh, in the private sector, went on to the private sector, and became a huge asset for a major corporation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The opportunities are there. But we tend to look at college. You've got to have your four-year degree. You've got to have your bachelor's degree, your master's degree. And I think we need to sell the idea of municipal management to the kids in high school. Or who are coming out of that period and say, "I have an opportunity. I can get a, go get a two-year degree at community college in bookkeeping, accounting, financing, management, and what are great steps into management. And if they're willing to learn and listen and look at other things, and somebody's willing to teach them something, they will open up all kinds of doors."
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there are summer jobs, but we probably should be expanding summer jobs at local government. Mm-hmm. Give them and, and also pay attention to them, really give them some special attention while they're there in the summer. Yes. never thought about it yes. before.
1: Yeah, we can teach um, proper, just safety aspects. I mean, if you've got summer employees and you can reinforce the idea of safety on, on their jobs, if they're mowing grass or doing other things. And they start thinking in a more professional light of it, that I'm not just a grass cutter and I'm just going to do this and, and be a bum about it, like, use that term, but I'm going to do the best I can and make sure that I'm doing it well for myself, protecting myself and the people I'm working with, take pride in what I'm doing. I've seen that happen where if they're taking pride in something, if some are employees or somebody starting out, they will return it. They will return that pride in different positive manners to the community.
0: I really like that idea. That's a keeper. That's a keeper, Ed. Also, we've talked a little bit about the professionals coming up and recruiting managers into the profession. But the other big challenge is to bring more diversity into the field.
1: I I thought about this. I serve on a a school board. It's a cyber school board. 4,200 students statewide. And they had graduation back in June. They actually had the graduation in Lancaster at the Clipper Stadium. And they graduated in person, I think about 150 students. And it was a very wide mix of um, race, ethnicity, sex, a whole breakdown, very wide variety. And I listened to the, and I've only been on the school board by that point, less than a year. And I listened to where the kids were, what degrees they were getting, where they were going on, what certificates they already had. And the school was recognized inside PA Cyber School, had been recognized already by the State Department of Education for the number of career opportunities that they were giving to the students. And afterwards, I said, also look at the opportunities for government, local government. Now, we're great at doing the vocational, we're getting better at doing the vocational type of work. But... I'm willing to bet that 99% of these students never had an idea that there was going to be major opportunities in local government, at every level of local government. And many of them would be very good at it. You see them get up and talk and listen to their, their educational experience. They've already mastered something. And mm. the fact that they've made it through a very difficult, and I'd say, a cyber school is not always easy. Some people it is, some people it's not. We can go on that for hours and hours of discussion. But in a pandemic, they made it. Yeah. yeah. They showed strength already. We yeah. need to take that strength and give them an opportunity. And I said to the school, our CEO and other board members, that we need to make sure that we open up ideas to them that in the local government arena, they have opportunities also. Mm-hmm. And I think if we start at that level, uh, where high school kids are not seen just one homogenous type of management out there but they can see opportunities I think will be better it's not going to happen overnight but there are far more women in government today than I've ever seen before not as many uh, minorities as I'd like to see by any stretch Mm -hmm. and that may be based on uh, geographical location Maybe part of that but I have seen changes not as much as I think we should see but I've seen changes yeah. I predicted um, back a couple of years ago to my uh, former association, the Burroughs Association, that they were going to face a major change in membership and that the elected officials, which had predominantly been male and white, was going to change. And it was going to change to female dominant. And we were going to see a movement of, of more minorities into it. We have seen many borough councils become overwhelmingly elected officials being female. And younger females at that, which are making a difference in their attitude to how they accept things or don't accept things. Uh, they're not willing to accept the way it's always been done. They're willing to break the 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 mold, so to speak. I think those are changes that we're going to continue to see.
0: Yeah, I hope you're right. And I think I think I have seen that same movement. the, the, the one you know, just basic principle that I think should be reflected in every manager approach to this is to look at the community and say, what is the complement of the community? And do we reflect that? Just basic. And it is a, if there, if it doesn't seem like there is a qualified candidate, then keep looking or think about ways, just that we were discussing before, bringing people in through the entry, at the entry level till we get, it's like building muscle. If we can build muscle at the entry level, can we then build muscle at the mid manager level? You so- know, At the
1: other part of it, that the managers are going to be challenged at different points during their their career. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to make decisions on what they accept or don't accept. And I'm going to put it this way. I had an employee one time who turned out to be very, I'm going to put it bigoted, the only word I can put to do it. And I didn't know it at the time. And that person made comments to a resident. And that resident um uh, called me about it, that this person had made comments about some other people in in a very negative manner. And you can't sit back and say that's acceptable. You can't, you have to stand up and take action. And at the same time, then if your board is doing that stuff, you have to decide whether that's something you want to be part of. And when you can say that I will not be part of that type of environment, that I will not do unethical immoral, and illegal activities, and those are very broad categories of discrimination against somebody because of their race, age, sex, whatever is wrong, illegal and and unethical, no matter how you cut it. And sometimes you have to say, I won't be part of this. Mm-hmm. And then I think the message also gets to the other employees when they see that and say, OK, we're not going to be with that. Or the community realizes that we've got to change some things also. We can't accept that as being part of our community. So leadership is more than just uh, standing up and reading off a report at the meeting. It's going to be how you react. And uh, I have a cup over here someplace. Yeah, here it is. It's not quite the right term I use, but can we see it?
0: (laughs) It's disappearing on me. Oh, Improvise, adapt. Adapt and
1: overcome. (laughs) You have to understand what's happening. Then you have to react to it and overcome whatever the issues are. And when you do this, everything you're going to be dealing with adapt, react and overcome is what really it comes down to. And if you've got an issue, you've got to address it somehow, you got to make a plan. And if you can, not if it's something that you can't live with, you got to make a change. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier for your conscience, and your ability to sleep at night to address those early on, yeah. and understand that you have to have a moral compass with you.
0: I think what you're saying is so important. And really, it, it by owning your own agency, being able to say this is not something that I'm willing to tolerate. And it's difficult with the elected bodies, because they really are responsible for what's the word? Policing is not quite the right word. They're holding one another accountable. There's really nobody else that can do that in, in many respects. And, and particularly if they're over the police department, like in boroughs, it gets really tricky. And I, I, as you were talking, I began to think about how important it is for organizations or communities to understand you can't just keep firing managers, right? You and I know that. They can't get a good manager when they have a history of firing their managers. But it may take somebody in another leadership role. This is what, I, what you made me think about. It could be the school director, somebody else who's in the community, who is a leader, the chamber. I'm trying to think of who, but they need to stand up and say, something has to happen at the local level because if, if our local fe- officials are going to keep running our managers out of town because they don't get along, because of divisive politics, then our community is going to suffer. And we have to take responsibility for that. It's uh, what I'm, what I see. And I know you see this. There's a lot of pressure. If you're in the organization, it's really difficult to do anything about it. Sometimes it takes somebody outside the organization to make them aware. This is hurting us. This is Mm -hmm. hurting us.
1: I think I know one community that had been in the last 10 years, they've gone through something like six managers six managers in 10 years. Something's wrong. There's something very obvious. And when they were trying to hire for this last manager, they I think they got five applications. And that tells you that people are not eager to put their name in or to make an effort to go to that place. The elected officials need to take a close look at what they're doing. What? Why is this happening? And there was obvious reasons in this one community. That the elected officials were at each other with no real commonality other than dislike for each other. And they didn't realize that they were doing more harm to their community, which they professed to care about than they did. Uh, Because when you start getting that, the the word goes out in the profession that you're crazy if you take a job there, it's not worth it. That you will only be there for 18 months.
0: Ed, I would like to just ask you just a few Uh, final questions here really it has to do with where we can find you but I wanted to just remember with you what it was like when social media we started getting on social media I remember you getting on I was shocked one day I was on Twitter and you responded to one of my tweets I said wow that kid on Twitter (laughs) and that time I I I'm a Twitter person. I don't find it quite as negative as others do because I limit who's in my feed. But yeah. I don't know what you might say about social media that now that you are tired, will you still engage in it? Do you find value in it? And if not on social media, where are we going to find you?
1: Yeah, I dropped off of Twitter uh, several years ago. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I, I, I just found myself, and this also deals with such as Facebook, eating up more time than I wanted to justify. I could justify. It was interesting. It just wasn't as productive as, but I still belong and still engage with on LinkedIn because I think it one is a, I'll use the term, a little more professional oriented and I can share courses and training coming up or ideas with people. So I've used that, continuing to do that. I I don't know that I'm going to go back to the other ones, Twitter or Facebook, uh, at least not at this time. And I think, but you're right and how you, what circle you're in or what you're allowing to interact with you. The one problem that we have, and this is what worries me also, is that we limit our circle. We pull it very tight. And so we're not going to necessarily get the other ideas that maybe are good. And we, we should hear about at the expense of keeping our circles tight, if that makes sense. So I do worry about that. And I, I have found myself disconnecting with some people on LinkedIn because I don't like what they're posting. I don't think it's appropriate, which was also the case on the other sites. Maybe it's just my old age, as I would put it today. And I'm less less uh, forgiving, which may be true or maybe not. I don't know. But I will continue on, at least on LinkedIn, I have turned over a good part of what I was doing there, especially for our uh, Burroughs Association to others in the organization. The Municipal Planning Association, which I'm involved with, has a website. I'll probably be doing a little more work on there, promoting materials and making that a little more visible out there, since I have the, I think I'll have the time for that. And I, I'm going to continue teaching. <laughs> so people, if you're in local government, you'll see me still out there teaching land use, budgeting classes, newly elected officials classes coming up. So I'll certainly be out there in many ways of uh, promoting that type of materials.
0: Now, that's very exciting that I could really see you helping so many, whether it's managers or, or communities that are, are looking to navigate forward and maybe need somebody with good perspective like you. And you also have just so many connections. Your network is so good. So I would encourage anyone uh, who is interested in just learning a little bit more about the profession or the, the field of training and development to reach out to you.
1: I'd be glad to you know, help anybody I can. I'm not sure I have all the answers. I'll be the first to admit that. But I certainly will listen and see if there's anything in my experience or ideas that might help somebody. I'd be glad to do so. And if somebody is looking to get into the field, I encourage them. But We need to make sure that we have people going forward. And I'll just make one story, a uh, very short story for a moment here. I, I told people this is the reason I got into local government. And it, there's some truth to it, definitely some truth to it. I grew up in upstate New York, north of Syracuse, and they're famous for having winter and snow, about nine months a year of winter. And one winter, and this was like 1965, 66, we already had probably three feet, four feet of snow on the ground up there. And we got hit with a blizzard mm. that just dumped another 48 inches of snow into the top of everything. Nothing moved at all. Uh, you, the plows couldn't go down the streets. Everything was closed schools, everything. My mother was a nurse at a hospital. She was there for four or five days delivering babies left and right on, on snowmobiles and uh, everybody else in the neighborhood keeping their streets, trying to keep the driveways open. And uh, they called for help. The, the state called for help in Canada thank goodness for the Canadians, sent down the biggest snow plows I'd ever seen in my entire life. It's biggest things in the world. And they had these giant V blades on the trucks and they came down the streets and they just moved everything out of the way. Everything, snow, cars, whatever's there, they moved. And I said, I wanna have a job that involves that. If you can get a job where you're playing with those kind of toys that can move anything off the road, that's the kind of job I wanna get involved with. And so I always use that as my excuse for getting involved with local government and winter maintenance and things of that nature because you get to play with some really big toys. Uh,
0: that is classic. I uh, think <laughs> that could be the banner for recruitment. That a billboard on the side of the road, get in, yeah,
1: that's yeah, great. You get to see some, I laugh at the stuff and opportunities that we've been presented with, whether it's building water lines and sewer lines or new municipal buildings and public works facilities parks and playground. You get an opportunity, uh, at least in this profession, to see a lot of different things. And, and so I'm, I, I have some of those things I look back on. I'm very proud of being able to say, I put my fingers on these. There's, there's, they're here because I did something. And uh, whether it's this community or another community, there's nothing wrong with that.
0: I suppose if somebody wanted to have a, a long conversation with you about all this, they could also find you fishing somewhere.
1: I don't know if the bell will find me. I'm not gonna let too many people know where I'm going because they may call and try to talk with me. But no, I will be around. My plan is I have, fortunately for the last 15 years of traveling around the state, I have earmarked or bookmarked a number of sites that look promising, if nothing else, to spend a couple hours standing in a stream, just fly fishing, don't wanna catch anything, don't bring anything home, but to enjoy some of that uh, opportunities. And they may very well see me dra- walking around, driving around their town, taking photographs of manhole covers and public buildings and adding that to my collection across the state.
0: Well, that sounds like fun. You've been such a great advisor to me over the years. I have valued all of my uh, time with you and uh, I look forward to having more conversations. You're just going to get wiser and wiser as you travel about the state. So. I'm I mean, going
1: grayer and grayer is what yeah, you yeah. tell. <laughs>
0: oh, no, you're going to have fun now. It's going to be a whole different scene. Uh, you
1: know, I'm, I, 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 I'm ready. I was ready for retirement. And I say that it wasn't a shock. I didn't wake up one morning and say, oh my God, I got to retire. I, I thought about it. And I reached an age where I can still do things and I still want to. I still look forward to working with all kinds of people and I'm available. Just somebody wants to sit and have coffee and talk. I'm more than willing to listen and talk with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just reach out to me, be glad to do that.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you, Ed. Just hang on for one moment, okay? I'm gonna stop the report. Okay, thank you so much.